greet you in the name of Jesus this morning. I would like to speak this morning on the prevailing word of God. A text verse is from Acts 19, verse 20. It says, So the word of the Lord grew and prevailed mightily. The uh, phrase, the word of God, is found 44 times in the New Testament. For those of you who have a fascination with Greek, um, there are the two words, logos, theos. Logos and theos is the word of God. And from my calculation, I think those are the words that are used all 44 times. This is what the New Testament says about the Word of God. It is what God used to bring the entire world into existence. It is what Jesus said we would live by. It is why the people followed Jesus, because it is what he spoke. Jesus said those who keep it are his brothers and sisters. It is what the apostles preached and why they chose others to serve tables so it would not be neglected. It is what caused the multiplication of disciples. It is what people received when they were saved. It is what those who are spiritually hungry long for. It is what creates faith in its hearers. It is what makes young men strong. It must be handled truthfully and without deceit, or its message will be corrupted. It is unfettered, unbound, and divides the motive and intents of the heart. It is why Christians throughout the ages have suffered. It has a calling that must be fulfilled, that it be carried to all of those who have not heard its message. And finally, it is the name of the one on the white horse who is faithful and true and is coming to judge the world. I found those extremely fascinating as, they, as I began to look and see what does the Bible say about the word of God? Those are all directly from scripture. The Bible also tells us that the word of God is like seed. If we go to the parable of the sower, it says that the seed is the word of God. And, um, but in the, in the parable, I find it interesting that the harvest does not depend solely on the seed. The, uh, according to, I think it's Psalm 119, he says the, the law of the Lord is perfect, or the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I think we're talking about the same thing there. And so the seed itself is perfect, but that does not mean that the harvest is perfect. And the difference is, and the condition of the soil. He gives us um, four kinds of soil there. The, the soil that is like the path, that is hard, and that, that uh, while it comes on, the birds come and get it, and it's carried away, and, and um, um, it, it does not sprout. There's the rocky soil that uh, is... Um, it, it, it's shallow. It, um, 
it, it sprouts, it comes up quickly, but then as soon as difficulty comes, it, it quits. There's the, uh, the thorny soil. It comes up and it grows, but there's a lot of competition. There's the, um, there's the cares, the riches and pleasures, and in the end, it doesn't bear fruit. I think probably even the, the care of all the churches that Paul talked about can make a, um, can restrict the effectiveness um, of, of uh, good fruit. And then he says there is the good soil, those that hear with a noble heart that keep it and bear fruit with patience. And certainly, good fruit takes patience, doesn't it? And God calls us to patience. Remember, I'm talking about the prevailing word of God. And we'll be going a number of different places, as it were. But the, the theme I want us to ponder in all the things that I talk about is how the Word of God relates to those things. Now, when the Spirit fell on the early church, it was the Word of God that was spoken. Acts 4.31 says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. I believe that's also true of the Asbury Awakening. I don't know how many of you have been following what's going on, and it's like every other thing that happens. It's not a perfect situation, uh, that I'm quite certain. But God doesn't work with perfect people. But um, on Saturday morning, it's, it's, it was almost two weeks that this... Um, that this, um, some call it a revival, has been going on. Well, it began with a couple of youth staying in, in the chapel um, and worshiping. Soon turned into a full, a full chapel of 1,500 places with people flying across the country and waiting in line to be a part of this. The Asbury Theological Seminary president, Timothy Tennant, cautioned against calling the event a revival, instead preferring the term Asbury Awakening. I think it's wise to see this at the current phase as an awakening, he wrote in a recent blog post. Only if we see lasting transformation which shakes the comfortable foundations of the church and truly brings us all to a new and deeper place can we look back in hindsight and say, yes, this has been a revival. But I'd like you to notice specifically the part that the Word of God is, seems to be playing in this, in this event. Um, this is what it said in one of the articles. It says, the scripture was read this afternoon for a long time by multiple people washing, by multiple people washing over the congregation. And after each scripture, the response was, the Word of God, and we believe it.
Just like to remind you that if this does not result in revival, it's not a fault of the seed. And so it is with every, every awakening that happens. There are a list of indicators I found in, in a, uh, a list in, in one of the comments of one of the articles that I found fascinating, so I copied it here for you. It's a, a list of indicators of the work of the Holy Spirit in times of revival, and it's from the Jonathan Edwards era, but I'm not certain if he was the author or not. Um, that was a little bit unclear to me. Number one is exalting Christ. Is Christ exalted? Is Satan exposed? Is the esteem for the scripture being raised? Is it clarifying sound doctrine? And is it generating love for Christians? So those are the five, the five uh, points that, that were given for whether or not a the Holy Spirit is involved in a revival. I'm going to read those again. Um, exalting Christ, exposing Satan, raising esteem for the Bible, clarifying sound doctrine, and generating love for Christians. And I suspect that unless all of those are present, you will not have a full-blown revival. You know, you cannot just make a revival happen. None of, us can, uh, none of us can just make it happen. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But I was challenged with these verses that indicate to us that we have something to do with whether or not revival happens. Hosea 6, 1 to 3, this is in the Berean Bible, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his presence. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the earth. So the promise is when we, when we set our hearts to seek God, that God will appear. God will come to us. He doesn't always say when. He doesn't always say how long we have to wait. Sometimes we seem to have to wait a long time for God's presence to appear. But he will come. He will appear. He will be faithful if we will seek him. There are several conditions I think are important for a successful revival to happen. Number one, there needs to be prayer. There needs to be a desire for God. There needs to be a ministry of the word. Here again comes the word of God, just to point that out. There needs to be spirit endorsement. And we'll talk about that just briefly in a little bit. There needs to be repentance and confession, and there needs to be a leadership that works with God. I would like everyone to stand and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. 
Acts chapter 19, and uh, I just wanted you to stand as, as I read this passage. Acts 19, um, and I'm going to start reading in verse, uh, verse 8. And he went to the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And when divers were hardened, and believed not, but speak evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all which were dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all of men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You may be seated. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. There are several things I'd like you to notice about this passage. Number one is that they spoke boldly the word of God to everyone. They spoke the word to everyone. The word of God must be our message. If we come with any other message, we cannot expect it to create the church as God intended it to be created. It is only the word of God that has the power for salvation. It is only the word of God that gives us the authority to speak the things that we speak. When we speak anything else besides what's in the word of God, things out of our own heart and our own imagination, we set ourselves up for disaster. They spoke the word, word boldly to everyone. I also, noticed, I also found it interesting that when there were certain ones that... that um, would not accept the truth. They withdrew themselves from them and they went with those who would listen. And they continued to speak the truth. There, um, there will always be those who, who refuse the truth or want to control the truth. And, um, but the word of God, in order to be effective, must have free course. There are, there are many things that can hinder the word of God, I believe. Jesus spoke of one of them. He says, you've made the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. 
That's one of the things that needs to be kept under subjection. In fact, everything, everything must be kept under the subjection of the Word of God. The Word of God must take pre preeminence. It must be the final authority if we are going to survive in, our, in the challenges that we face in life. Verse 10, they continued to speak the Word of God. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. There is a, uh, a very fascinating, I, uh, this is not what I was intending to preach, but um, it seemed like every time I tried to find I had something in mind that, I, I, that had come to my mind, and I thought that was what I was supposed to preach. But you know what it's like to try to go to the Bible to, to find what, you, what idea you came in your head, and it's just like it's just like you know, it's a blank wall. There's just nothing there. And, and you know, as, as, I was, as I was studying on the subjects, and, and then these articles pop in and, this thing gets said, and that thing gets said, and all of a sudden things start to... You, you, you've been there and done that? Well, that was sort of where this one went. But uh, this was one of the things that came up, and I've just found it thrilling and fascinating, and I wanted to share some of it with you um, as part of this message. Um, the, the title of the story is The Battle for Sui. Sui is a town in... Uh, Liberia. It was uh, close to where Christian Aid Ministries was working at the time, and maybe still are. And um, the the girl who wrote it was was working over there back in 2015, which I think was about the time this happened. Tucked away in the deep bush of Nimba County, Liberia, lies a village called Sawi. Nimba County is noted for its deep involvement in witchcraft, and Sawi was no exception. It was home to some of the highest ranking people in the devil's society. If a man wanted to win the, elect, win the position he was running for in an election, he could go to Sawi and pay an exorbitant amount of money to have the chief put in his vote in the dark world. It worked every time. If a woman had a relative she wanted to kill, she could go to Sawi and pay someone to have the person killed. There was power in Sawi. Dark secrets, dark secrets shattered the town. Four, four different pastors had gone to try to witness in Sawi. Each one had died shortly afterward. One pastor's wife also died. Those who were interested in going to Sawi had been, or who had been there, were told to shake the dust from their feet because the people could not be saved. The town was steeped in witchcraft. From baby on up, children were introduced to the dark world and its powers. The people lived in fear. Come with me to Doan, another remote village in Imba County, where only a few years ago the devil had free reign. Here, Liberian men from Cam, Steve, Marvin, and James, were preaching the word of God to the people gathered in the village. They preached on Christian living and Christian marriage. After the preaching was over, a man by the name of Sai came forward. He had been living with a woman for years, but after hearing the word of God, he was convicted, and he wanted to get married. 
The men told Sa'i that was good and he should go ahead. But the woman was from a different village and Sa'i wanted the evangelist to come and conduct the dowry payment ceremony for him. James agreed to go to the woman's village and attend the dowry payment. The name of the village was Sawi. James went to Sawi on the designated day and attended the dowry payment ceremony. After the ceremony, he began to preach the word of God to the people and praying for them. Afterwards, three men came up to James and said, the words you spoke touched us. We never heard words like this before. We want a church in this town. Please pray for us that a church could be here one day. James left, but the word of God did not. <clears throat> it took root and sprouted. People were convicted and started confessing sins. Two girls, aged 11 and 13, confessed that they, through witchcraft, had killed the four previous pastors that came, that came to preach in the village. And by the way, there was a note here that said that the reason they were able to kill these pastors is because these pastors were living in sin. And they were not covered with the blood of Jesus. <coughs> The man who had first shown interest after the service in Sui went to Don to tell the pastor that some children had started confessing things. They begged the evangelist to come back and give them more teaching and guidance. One weekend in February, James and some men from the Deeper Life Church made arrangements to have a crusade in Sui. The preaching began on Friday, and the pure word of God was brought forth. Again, I want you to notice the pure word of God. The pure word of God has power. The village people watched skeptically. It sounded good, but they would see tonight if God had power. The preaching men were planning to sleep in the village. No man trying to share the gospel had ever survived a night in Sawi. If they were alive in the morning, the village people would then know that these men were working for the true God. That night, the Christians in the town stayed up all night praying and calling on the name of Jesus. Several times during the night, those praying saw the demons trying to attack, and fear entered their hearts. But each time they called on the name of Jesus, and their courage returned. Those who were involved in the demonic world were up too, but they were not praying. They were trying with their demonic powers to overthrow the believers. The visiting evangelists were up with the rising sun, healthy and strong. A woman admitted, we thought you pastors that came were just like those who came before you, but you are different. Last night we could see angels around the whole town. We were not able to do anything. The attention of the village was captured. Many gave their lives to Christ. They continued to teach the word of God. They continue to teach the word of God. It is the word of God, brothers and sisters, that have power. If you want power in your life, you must be in the word of God. You can't just come on Sunday 
and wait for God to get a hold of you. You've got to be in the Word of God. I've seen it again and again. It's those who are in the Word of God that have power in their life. Why is reading the Word of God so hard? Do you have any idea? Do you ever find it that way? I find it terrifically difficult to read sometimes. You know, we, we talk about Job and the things that went on in his life, and we wonder what kind of things happen in our life. What kind of things are happening beside behind the scenes? Are there people who, who are, are, are trying to destroy us, who know us only in the spirit world? We don't know. But if, if we are going to have power in our life, it has to come because of the word of God in our lives. Now, I don't think that's the only thing. Prayer is certainly important. But remember, prayer is us talking to God. When we read the word of God, it's God talking to us. Now, think of it this way. Does God already know what, you're going, what you think? So how important is it for you to talk to God? Does God know anything more after you got done talking than what he did when you did before you started? No. Now, am I saying prayer isn't important? No. Because as we intercede before God something happens in the spirit world that we can't quite comprehend, okay? Plus, I think there's something about us expressing our heart to God that, that well, it's a little bit like music. You become the kind of music you listen to. And the kind of, particularly the kind of music you sing. It, it becomes a part of you. Um... And I think as we pray, we become what we pray. And so it's not changing God in so much as it's changing us. It's, it's aligning ourselves with God. But when we read the word of God, then we are, we, are, we are listening what God has to say to us. Now, do we know what God, do, do we know what God thinks without hearing what God says? Well, no, we don't. But see, God already knows what we think without us saying it. So which is the most important? Well, I'm not certain that I'm willing to say what is the most important. But I will say this, that the word of God is, is, is tremendously important for us to hear the word of God if we're going to have power in our lives. We'll also find that God blessed in special ways. And that was the third item that I had on my list for successful revival. That is spiritual spirit endorsement. We find the spirit endorsing the work of Paul. He by um, by working special miracles. And um, so that he could even bring his handkerchief and and uh, or or he would um I guess they could bring their handkerchief to Paul and take it back to the sick and they were recovered. See, those were choices of God. 
And, and we need to be careful. We talked about this morning about putting God in a box. We, we daren't tell God, God, you got to do it this way to endorse my, what I'm doing or what I'm saying. No, when God endorses something, he does it the way he wants to do it. But we need to be willing and open and, 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 um, and allow God to do things the way he, um, he does it. I spoke a bit about the Asbury Revival, and I have a friend who had some pretty disparaging things to say because there were some women leading the, the, the worship and, um, and supposedly maybe even some homosexuals involved in some of that. And um, you and I know that that is not acceptable, um, particularly the latter. But I, want to, but I asked him the question, I said... How do we know? How do we know that God isn't using those who are, um, think, think how I said it, how do we know that God isn't using those who are unqualified because we are less qualified than they? How do we know the mind of God? To the scribes and Pharisees, God said, the publicans and sinners will enter the kingdom of God before you. And I'm recalling that <clears throat> there was a story that began something like, and there was a woman who was a sinner. And she came and she anointed the feet of Jesus. I don't think we know what God is doing. And, and we dare not turn away from truth, and we dare not ignore the truth that we have. But we also dare not put God in a box. God is God. And as we talked about in Job this morning, God doesn't always do things the way we think God is supposed to do things. But God is God, and we won't tell him how to do things. We think we understand his way, but then he surprises us and does things a different way, and we don't always understand it. God blessed in ordinary ways. And then, of course, there were those who were attempting to copy the successes of the things that they saw but they came with the wrong spirit and God revealed whose were his and whose were not. So, as I said, I think for revival to happen, there needs to be a desire for God, prayer. There needs to be ministry of the word. There needs to be spirit endorsement of what is happening there needs to be repentance and confession. And you see that that's what happened in the church here. That, um, that um, many believed, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And um, I think that that's one of the things that happens in revival. And I, I don't think it's, I think it's a result of, of conviction and of the Holy Spirit 
It's a result of the preaching of the word again. The word of the God is what has power. It's not a forced thing. And, and I, would hesit, I would hasten to say it's, um, I believe that when, when revival falls, I don't think we're going to have that most of us are good and one of us is bad syndrome. You know what I mean by that? I think that as people, we often have this thing where we, 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 we somehow, and I've said this many times here before, but we sort of have this thing that, that, yeah, I know that we're not perfect and we all have these little sins that we do and they're, they're okay sins, but over here is a bad sin. And um, I think when revival falls, God will show us all things in our own hearts that we are unaware of. Amen. <clears throat> And confession will happen. This is the testimony from 12-year-old Blessing Say. One of the first in Sui to begin confessing sins. When I was just a small girl, a man initiated me into witchcraft. First he told me to bring him all my ma's money. So I did. Then he told me to kill my ma. I told him I can't do that. So he told me to bring some of my ma's clothes. I brought them back to him in the witchcraft form, and he tied them so that my ma would never have a child again. I killed three people. I killed one pastor's wife who came here and also her ma. Then I killed my cousin. The man ordering me to do all these things told me to do these things so I would get rich. The pastors told Blessing to kneel down. They laid hands on her and prayed for the blood of Jesus to save her. While they were praying, three people came to Blessing in the witchcraft form, tried to distract her from her prayer. Blessing rebuked them in the name of Jesus. The three spirits that were living inside of her left her and entered the people tempting her. She was delivered. Since that time... Evil spirits never come to me at night, blessing will tell you. When I'm ready to lie down and sleep, I always pray. Those that tempted me are afraid of me now because I'm following Christ. Another thing we find that happened in the early church was a cleansing from evil things. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. There was an open cleaning house of things that related to evil and related to witchcraft and other evil things. They did not regard the value of those things. They did not say, oh, these things are valuable and I must sell them and try to get my money back out of them so God can have his money. No way. They said, these things will go. 
These things will go. They counted the money all right, but they burned it up. They said, this is gone. We cannot hang on to the trappings of evil and expect the power of God. A few months later, James again went to Sawi. This time he took Brother Aiken, Brother Steve, and Brother Marvin from among the CAM office along with him. Many people were again eager to hear the word of God. Those who were not ready to surrender their devil worship were trying to use their powers to sabotage the meeting. On the second day of the crusade, while Marvin was preaching, two bats flew into the pavilion where the meeting was held. As if on cue, all people rose to their feet and began crying out to God and rebuking the power of the devil. Steve took the book in his hand and knocked the one bat out of the air. Someone from the village stamped on the bat and killed it. The other bat flew straight out of the building. The people sat back down on the benches and the preaching continued. The powers of darkness were again defeated by our God. More and more people confessed their sins and gave their lives to Christ. Steve felt the Lord asking him to tell the people to surrender their juju property, the tools that they used in witchcraft. So that evening he addressed those gathering. If you have decided to follow God, it's time to surrender the devil's property. Bring your items tomorrow and surrender them. Almost before Steve was finished speaking, a woman stood up, cut the rope that was tied around her waist, and brought it forward to be destroyed. The next day, many people brought things forward to surrender. Earlier, others had destroyed things of their own accord. One man had a question. If I use this horn to do good and bad things to people, can I keep it and continue to use it for good? The evangelist answered, no. If it was a tool of Satan, it has to go. The workshop continued with more teaching and praying. Most of the teaching was on salvation and deliverance from Satan. This was the first time the village had seen this powerful presence of God, a power that compelled them to surrender their previously most prized possession. The power of the Holy Spirit was evident. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? There will always be opposition to revival, and I'm not going to talk about that. That comes in the next part of the passage. It also comes in the next part of this story. I'd like to remind you that it was the word of God that won the day. If we are to have revival, it must start with prayer, an urgent prayer for revival. There must be ministry and a saturation with the word of God. There must be a spirit orchestrating an awakening. It's not something we can create on our own. The Holy Spirit needs to be the one to do it. And he's the one that brings conviction and understanding. There needs to be a response on, on our part. A response of confession and repentance. As the spirit brings things to our hearts and our minds. And it must end. And the end result will depend upon a church on leadership that works with God or those who don't know what to do. As I look back to one revival in my time, I felt like we had the latter where 
it began and it sort of fizzled because no one knew what to do with it. But I think perhaps it was more than that. As I pondered, I think maybe it was because those of us who had prayed for revival did not see the need for revival in our own hearts. We only saw it in the needs of other people. And I challenge you, brothers and sisters, to pray that God would bring us revival. The church is in bad need of revival. We haven't seen a revival for a long time. Most of you younger generation have never seen one. And if it was, it was only a small one. Um, I, believe, I believe people are hungry for truth. While they're very confused, we live in a time of great confusion. We also live in a time where people would like to see, at least some people would like to see revival. But they would like to see power, the spirit power. And I think we need to pray to that end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we seek your heart. We pray that you would speak your word to us. Lord, teach us how to speak the truth. Teach us how to preach your word. Give us a hunger for your word, O oh God. And bring us your Holy Spirit's revival to our lives and to our church. Lord, we need you so much. There's so much of me that is not fully the way it should be. And um, I need you to work in my heart. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.